episode 22 of the Bearded Carcast comes your way after the NFL draft. A rare Sunday night edition. Is Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth going to join us? Well, we do have somebody from NBC, so we can use the music, right? That's right. Sure, let's do that. It's, um, yeah, it's Sunday, and everybody's kind of come down. I think after three days of draft, we all needed a chance to exhale for a little bit, and that's what today's been like for me and a lot of people who do what I do for a living. And that's- that voice is Darren Gant from ProFootballTalk.com and, of course, a property of NBC and NBC Sports. And, of course, our good buddy. And thank you for coming out on yeah, a Sunday, schlepping over to my house and hey. sitting in the kitchen with us. Nobody yeah. had draft picks on social media before Darren Gant did. <laughs> all right, so should we start with everybody's mock draft? Yeah, I, I, I was 100%. Hit them all. How about you? I got none wrong. Did you see? Uh, I did see somebody actually went by and went back and looked at a bunch of mock drafts uh, from like some. I of think the Mike th- Mayock had two. Yeah, make yeah, but well, the three guys that he sampled, they had ten right for the entire. Yeah. The the only thing worse than people who grade mock drafts for how many you got right are people who are proud of how accurate their mock draft was. <laughs> Those guys are the worst, and I won't call them out by name. But there's some people in my business who take an undue measure of pride in a pretty insignificant. Thing because I did the math the other day and over half the draft picks in the draft as total were traded at some point. So the idea of building a mock draft without having trades, without knowing who's doing deals, is just folly because over half the picks are getting traded. Yeah. You've got the number and the team wrong, so how could you know which player's going to go there? It's all an educated guess beforehand. The amazing part to me is that people like it, and yeah. there's such an appetite well, for that. I don't begrudge someone doing it because it gets clicks, and that's the way the industry works. But what you're saying about the tra- draft picks being traded, doesn't that show that the league has gotten a little bit more sophisticated if you can get a guy at 12 instead of at seven aren't you better off trying to add that third round pick and conversely if the guy you really want is available at 10 don't you trade ahead of the team at 11 who might draft josh rosen anyway right and there were a couple examples that buffalo being the first and foremost buffalo everybody in the league knew that Brandon Bean had to have a quarterback. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to be the Buffalo Bills, you've got to be pertinent in your own market if you ever want to get a new stadium. And you need more than you need a quarterback on the field. You need that guy as the tent pole of your organization. Somebody you can sell as the face. And they decided early on that it was Josh Allen. And they decided that they didn't care about the social media posts. They thought that was a fluke. You know, they liked the big, strong guy who could throw the football over a mountain because Brandon Bean came from Carolina, where he was been around for the previous six years, a big, strong quarterback who could throw the football over a mountain. A big, strong quarterback who could throw the ball over the mountain and might have had some social media or off-the-field stuff yeah. going on before he got drafted, and, too. And that's why I knew if I, if I had done a mock draft, I would have put Josh Allen with the Bills somewhere yeah. because Brandon was trying to trade up to get in a position to take that guy whether it was two, whether it was five. And and John Elway flat out admitted after the fact, I was on the phone with the Bills. We had a deal struck. They were coming up to five until Bradley Chubb sitting there staring me in the face, and I can't turn that down because Chubb would have probably gone six to Indianapolis and – you know, the rest is history. But So if Chubb is your guy and you're John Elway, that seems pretty intelligent. Yeah. I mean, he just decided that rather than take a future pick or mid-round picks, he'd rather have Bradley Chubb to pair with Von Miller and wreak havoc on guys. I mean, Wasn't the Denver Bradley Broncos— Chubb one of the most talented players yeah. in the draft? I mean, th- theoretically— and He I was one of the two most talented guys. He and Saquon Barkley were the two most talented guys in the draft. If you so take the quarterbacks the out of the mix— So how does the drafting number one and number four not get either of them? Same reason the Bills— 
wanted Josh Allen. You get in a position where you've got to have a quarterback for a lot of reasons, and and the Browns obviously need a new quote-unquote face of the franchise. And John Dorsey decided Baker Mayfield was it, and that's who he was going to take. I think there's been a lot of blowback from the talking heads about it, but John Dorsey's track record is not so disastrous that Browns fans should go, right. oh, wow, he really screwed this up, right? Right. I mean, Dorsey's a smart guy, and he's and he's accumulated talent wherever he's been in charge. He comes from good stock uh, out of the Green Bay organization, and a lot of people you know, thought he was going to be the Packers GM one day, but he goes to Kansas City, lays in a good base of talent there. They're competitive at a higher level than they had been for a while. He leaves. He comes to Cleveland. He's just overturning the entire roster, which is a good thing because it was a bad roster. They won one football game the last two years, and that was one of the other kind of inside baseball things about this draft that fascinated me about last Tuesday or Wednesday. There were the stories of Hugh Jackson isn't really in the loop on this pick. Well, yeah. Why would you let Hugh Jackson in the loop? Hugh Jackson's a notorious leaker of information. So if John Dorsey wanted to keep it a secret, why would he tell Hugh? And then there came the, Oh, Hugh's in the loop. Sure, he's in the loop. Um, Hugh found out about Wednesday, probably, that they were taking Baker Mayfield first overall because, you know, Dorsey didn't want it out there in the streets that he was taking Baker Mayfield. So If Dorsey did things correctly, Baker Mayfield will be with that organization longer than Hugh will. Yeah, more than likely. And, you know, they've got just as much claim. Baker Mayfield has won one fewer game in Cleveland <laughs> than Hugh Jackson. And he's got a two-year head start. So, but that being said, the guy they took with the number one pick comes from a system that doesn't really replicate in the NFL when they had guys available at that position that seem yeah. to be, I mean, I, I think our friend Jeff Schwartz said, and, and I agree with him at least on this point, and I'm not saying that Josh Rosen was the best player in the draft, but the guy that was the best passer was the fourth quarterback taken, right? Right. It, it certainly seems that way. And so many times in the NFL, it's about fit more than absolute talent level. It's not like you're nailing a grade to a guy, okay, this guy's an A, this guy's a B, this guy's a C. A B can win a lot of games mm -hmm. with an A organization. And, you know, they think that Baker Mayfield, for what they want to do, is going to be a good fit. I, I think that Baker Mayfield's going to be – a good NFL quarterback because he throws the ball where he wants it to go. And being accurate matters. Drew Brees is another short guy who doesn't have a big, strong arm. He can't throw it over the mountain, but he's won a lot of games. And he's probably going into the Hall of Fame one day because it goes where he wants it to go. And I think that if you get the right people around Mayfield, then I think there's an opportunity. And, and again, this feels like blasphemy, and I just I'm not going to believe it till I see it. But the Browns have a good collection of personnel now to make a big jump. And even without Baker Mayfield, with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, with what they've got, I could have seen, and what they did this offseason, I could have seen them getting to five or six wins, maybe seven. And if you can get to seven and nine, you're not that far from nine and seven, which could be a playoff berth in the AFC. So, you know, I, I think they're going to improve. We'll see how long they're able to keep him out of that job. I think. Tyrod Taylor's more than capable. I mean, my gosh, he broke a 17-year playoff drought in Buffalo, so mm -hmm. the guy's got something going for him. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But I'm like you. If you just graded those guys individually and you looked at the body of work in college, 
I don't see how you don't come to the conclusion that Josh Rosen was the best player of the four based on what he did in college. Now, whether that translates, I think it worked out perfectly for Rosen because he's on a better team. You know, he doesn't have to deal with all the stuff that goes along with being the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns and the jersey with all the names on it and all that kind of mess. Um, Getting to Arizona where he gets to turn around and hand it to David Johnson 20 or 25 times a game. Having Larry Fitzgerald out there to throw it to matters. Um, Being with a good, stable coach, like I think Steve Wilkes is probably going to be in a pretty good organization, you know, the cards have been fairly consistent in the way the Panthers have been consistent in that they're always in the mix. Um, You know, a little bit of high, a little bit of low, but generally competitive. And I think it serves him well. They're they're insisting, oh, well, Sam Bradford's still our starter. Yeah, until two weeks into the season when Sam gets hurt again, and then it's going to be Rosen's, and he'll never give it back. So we've talked about three of the four quarterbacks taken. Darnold, I think a year ago or maybe six months ago, was the guy that people thought would go number one. How does did, – did that work out perfectly for the Jets? Um, Maybe. They still need to put – talent in around him for that to not be a mess somebody asked me before the draft which of the guys I thought which of the quarterbacks I thought would be disasters and I said the one that gets drafted by the Browns and the ones that gets drafted by the Jets I mean that's you know it's got more to do with the team than the guys individually Darnold Darnold's such a quote-unquote clean prospect he checks off all the boxes he's big he's tall he's strong he he looks the part and believe it or not that matters to some people but so does Blake Bortles And I think there's a chance that Sam Darnold might just be Blake Bortles, somebody who's good, not great, and everything's going to have to work perfectly around him. And I don't think it's set up to work perfectly around him with the Jets right now. We're going to clip that Blake Bortles is good and play that for the rest of your life. (laughs) Well, good, not great. I mean, good in the sense that... Like a Jake Blum good? a effective? poor man's Jake DeLome. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Is that good? Um, yeah, well, he it was, was effective. Good. It was good enough to get to the conference championship game. It was good enough to, and, and that's the kind of thing. Um, he's not. He wasn't a disaster this year, and he didn't keep an otherwise really good team from succeeding. And I know that's a really low bar to establish for quarterbacks, but in the NFL, the way there's an opportunity for teams to turn in a hurry. That matters. I wonder now that they've paid him a little bit of money, even though he's making low end of the scale for starters, I wonder how much more successful they're going to be the next couple of years with him under center. I thought they would have been a perfect place, you know, to go find a Lamar Jackson or somebody like that to be ready in case. And and Lamar Jackson's another example. He he might not play much this year. He's absolutely going to play. He's going to be their starter two years from now. I mean, the way Joe Flacco's contract's built demands that, but it might happen before that because Joe Flacco hasn't been very good in the but last couple he, of years. But if Joe Flacco is gone, doesn't that mean the Ravens are starting over? Doesn't that mean John Harbaugh's gone too? I don't know. I, I think this gives them an opportunity to sort of hit reset on the team without blowing the whole place up. I think Harbaugh is like um, – you know, he's not unlike John Fox. He's not unlike Ron Rivera in that he's good at keeping a team between the ditches. And certainly he's been in a Super Bowl. They've won a Super Bowl 
and, and all that kind of stuff matters. But I don't know that I would call him a necessarily a great coach. He's not an individual. I mean, he gets his pants pulled down by Bill Belichick <laughs> all the time. He he does in big games. He gets embarrassed and he gets out coached he's from not time the only to time. One. Yeah, I mean everybody does, but those things happen to John Harbaugh, and that's a real thing. But he's been there for a long time. We'll see how much longer he goes. I mean, handing the torch from Ozzie Newsom to Eric DaCosta is a big thing. I mean, imagine being the guy who was the last pick made by Ozzie Newsom. That's a lot of pressure on yeah. a kid from Ferris State or wherever he was from. Um, but Ozzie Newsom's been a legend. I mean, that guy is a Hall of Famer as a player. He was the organization for a long time and did a lot of good work for a long time. And to, you know, that's a pretty significant change for those guys. And now, you know, I think it's – I like the I like the idea of the first black general manager in the NFL making way for a black quarterback to take over a team. And I think it's just a matter of time before it's Lamar. And Joe, I don't know if he's salty about it. He turned down some interviews the other day, um, which is natural. I mean, they just drafted a guy to his position. It takes guys a minute to process all that. But, you know, Flacco's had a good run and made a lot of money. I think it's time that, you know, for them to take that next step as a franchise, it's going to have to be with somebody other than Joe Flacco. Are you surprised New England didn't pick him? I mean, that was the, the trendy... There was a lot of talk about that, which makes you wonder if it was just talk. And yeah. they were trying to... They've talked Baltimore into guys before. Remember the guy from Navy the other year yeah. that everybody yeah. said, oh, this guy's a perfect yeah. Patriot. And the yeah. Ravens end up taking him and yeah. dragging him around for a year and a half and then cutting him, and he never did anything for him. One other uh, first-round uh, pick I wanted to get to was Saquon Barkley. There was a lot of discussion right. that maybe the Jets were going to go quarterback. And uh, uh, the good news for Saquon Barkley is we know that he's more valuable than hot dogs, pretzels, and uh, a burger at the concession stand. Gettleman's having fun with this he again. He's, um, I'm going to be curious to see. He's. I think he's got an opportunity – to turn things around quickly because it is a pretty decent base of talent there. Eli Manning, whatever you think of him, he's won a Super Bowl. Sure. He's he's sure. he's he's won a couple of them and been successful and is probably the king of that good not great class of quarterback. Um and you add Saquon Barkley to Odell Beckham to Sterling Shepard to Evan Ingram, and you think, wow, that's a team that could score a bunch of points. And they come back and they draft Will Hernandez, who's just this monstrous guard, top of the second round, and they ought to be able to run the ball a little bit. They spend a pile of money on Nate Salter to play left tackle, go out and draft Hernandez, draft the best running back in this draft, and, you know, it's going to be – they created a situation that should allow Eli to succeed. And even at 30, what, 36, 37 years old, you know, I still think the guy can get it done for a couple of years. He's not great, but he's good enough. And I think when you add somebody like Barkley, who's who ought to be a great NFL player, I think it was a good pick. I think it was the right pick rather than taking a guy. You know, Dave said throughout the process, if you make a mistake on a quarterback, it costs you five years. And if you make a mistake on the guy after Eli – that's doubly true because now you don't have Eli in two years because he's old. But if you don't old. have a quarterback at all, then you're an awful franchise. And Eli Manning may have a year left. He may have two years left. He may be done right now. So if Dave has the second pick and he can take a quarterback and he doesn't take the quarterback and Eli doesn't have anything right. left, now you've got a franchise where your best players are running back. That's not so good. Or in two years, you go get Joe Flacco. 
Uh, or somebody who is that great of quarterback who's become those guys. I think Kirk Cousins. I, as hitting, much as both of us like Kansas City, and I think we both are big Andy Reid fans, mm-hmm. y- you you might remember better than me. I don't remember seeing them in the Super Bowl over no. the last six or eight years. No, but that being said, I think Washington may have upgraded at quarterback by going from Cousins to Alex Smith. Because Alex Smith doesn't make mistakes. I don't think with it matters because I don't think either of those guys are leading a team to win the Super Bowl. Now that being said, Pacheco and I talked on the Bearded Carcast throughout going into the playoffs, and I said, "No, you can't win the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback." <laughs> and, and then and there you go. Anything can happen in a one-game setting, but it's um, yeah. I'm with you. I don't think. I wouldn't have paid Kirk Cousins $28 million a year to come be my quarterback. But you don't and think I don't... the Giants needed to address quarterback? I'm fine with them not addressing quarterback. And, you know, because I think Eli is enough of a quarterback, and and I may be one of those old idiots who football has passed by, but I still think you can win games running the football if you've got a good defense. And two years ago, the Giants had a very good defense, and all those parts, basically, other than Jason Pierre-Paul, are still in place. So I don't see why they can't be sufficient defensively, and they've made big strides offensively by, A, getting rid of Ben McAdoo, and B, adding the best player in the draft who might be Adrian Peterson all over again and might be better. and you, Or could be Trent Richardson. I don't think he's going to be Trent Richardson simply because Trent Richardson wears kind of that. I worry about Alabama guys, and I worry about Alabama guys being used up when they get to the league. Yeah. Uh, and I worry about what they do there not translating because Nick Saban doesn't care about their NFL future. He right. doesn't care about what they've got left in the tank or what they need to succeed at the professional level because all he's interested in is winning games for Alabama. Yeah, that's kind of a college mentality. You see that in baseball all the time, too. All right, we're going to take a look at the NFC South. We also have the mailbag to get to, and we'll uh, get to a lot of other items. Darren Gant with us. Follow us at Bearded Carcast, and you can email. You, know, you, just, you don't have to listen to emails. You can actually send an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. draft some people made it their entire weekend others watched (laughs) lebron james take his team to the second round not nearly as easy as it sometimes looks but boy does that guy step up when it counts how about that walk-off win for the charlotte knights on friday night right Mm -hmm. that 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 too did that happen (laughs) apparently so so are we going to break down raptors calves in this segment is that yes who do you like I, I like the Raptors for a lot of reasons, but I'm like everybody else who's watched LeBron James. It's like he's going to do this by himself, right? Yeah, right. Now, I'm curious well, to see. I think four games in the series of 40 points or yeah. Right. I, I'm curious to see how the Cavs as a whole hold up after playing a seven-game series against the Pacers that was a lot tougher than anybody imagined it being. That Pacers team was fun to watch. And, you know, even though the local basketball product hasn't been very good, I, I can't help but think you look at the Pacers and think, you know, 
they're not close to being a playoff team, but nobody looked at the Pacers going into this season and thought, that's the team that's almost going to knock off the Cavs. Right. Darren Gant from Pro Football Talk is with us. Yeah, but breaking it, down it, basketball. It, yeah. It, it sounds like he's angling he's got to be a basketball Adam Jones. Schefter. He, yeah. want, he wants a side job, <laughs> side job on hoops. Yeah, I could do that. I mean, early on, you know, when I came out of college, I thought covering the NBA was the way yeah. to go. And before I stumbled into a job covering the NFL, that was kind of the career goal. Yeah, I was you, working at the Gaston Gazette, yeah. and you know Michael Smith was covering the Hornets, and then moved Richard Walker into that job. And I thought Walker would go do something else after a while. Maybe I'd slide into yeah. that. But um, you get a job covering the NFL twenty years later, yeah. and the rest is history. But um, I love I I'm the weirdo that watches the NBA for fun, mm. uh, and I enjoy that part of the game. And this is fantastic. There's been so much great basketball on yeah. just over the last if couple instead of weeks. Covering the Panthers all these years, you covered the Hornets. And the Bobcats. That, that would have been a lot of I'd fun. I'd had more Marriott points that way. I know that. <laughs> so the locals, the Panthers, did they, they they essentially did what most people thought they would do. They had several needs and yeah. they seemed to address those they, needs. They checked off a lot of boxes. They did. They've got they got one of the best. Hold on, let me get the door. Yeah. <laughs> you guys keep going. That's that's ambience. I like that. Um they they did. They checked off boxes. They needed receiving help. They got one of the two best receivers in the draft. And and I think there's a reasonable debate whether DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley's the best receiver, and time will tell. I mean, Ridley's in a situation where he can succeed in Atlanta. Uh, went two picks after Carolina, but I just think DJ Moore's got a little bit more ceiling. You know, the floor's probably lower with Calvin Ridley. The ceiling's probably higher with DJ Moore. And I think one of the things that kind of caught me off guard maybe I wasn't necessarily expecting it was hearing DJ Moore get the full-throated endorsement of Steve Smith I mean he's 89 approved walking in the door and and Steve kind of said on the NFL Network broadcast they've never really replaced me right and he's right and they it that being said it's hard to replace a guy like Steve Smith but I think DJ Moore's got opportunity to grow into things because there's not the pressure on him to catch 100 balls this year. They've got enough guys. Even though I don't think it's a great receiver's room, it's a lot better than it was a year ago. There's no doubt about that. When you back up six or eight months, they traded one of their top two receivers for a draft pick. Now they have to come back and use a first-round pick to get a receiver. How do we look at that whole equation? Well, I mean, that was just such a duplication of skills with Benjamin and Funchess. They were basically the same player. The offense did kind of open up a little bit after that. And and that's kind of the philosophical shift of going from Gettleman to Herney. I mean, you know, some people like Bond, some people like Brunettes. Dave liked them big. And he wanted as many big people on the field as possible. And that extended to his wide receivers. And he had no problem in putting Benjamin and Funchess out on the field together. Marty came from that Washington lineage. He broke into the league covering and then working for Bobby Bethard, who's going into the Hall of Fame. And if you think back to those Washington teams that were great and won Super Bowls, what did their receiving core look like? You had an Art Monk on one side, and then you had this little fast guy named Gary Clark on the other. And the contrast made that offense work with a lot of different quarterbacks. And and I just think that goes back kind of like we talked about Brandon Bean was going to be a Josh Allen guy. Marty was always going to be a guy who wanted 
a big one and a fast one rather than two big ones. So yeah. he w- they went out and found some guys. And, and while DJ Moore, I don't think, has top-end speed or anything like that, they've definitely got more of a variety in that receiving room now. I think Torrey Smith's a good add. Um, Abe, he can kind of – he can still play. He's kind of the hybrid – Ted Ginn, Jericho Cotri. He gives you that old head experience, somebody who's been in the league, been through, you know, good teams, bad teams, and can teach DJ more about being a professional wide receiver. And he can still get down the field a little bit. And I, I think the fact that, you know, Ted Ginn had only ever been an actual NFL wide receiver when he was in Charlotte prior to meeting Drew Brees um, is kind of hope for maybe getting more out of Torrey Smith than he showed with Philadelphia last year. And the other, uh, I think one of the other interesting stories for the Panthers draft was Ian Thomas, the tight end out of Indiana. I mean, mean, a very tough upbringing and, you know, now obviously on the precipice of, you know, becoming an NFL player. Yeah, I mean, it's just a fantastic story. And there's, you know, some stuff from the Baltimore Sun where he grew up there without parents. His brothers effectively raised him. It's a fantastic story. It's not Shaquem Griffin, but it was, it's one of those things that could have been the feel-good story the entire draft when you look at what he's been through and and overcome and and it's a good position for him because he didn't have to be the guy for a couple years they extended greg olson right before the draft and right before some other bad news hit with the panthers hey everybody look over there um but i think ian thomas is a guy who in a couple years could grow into something and they checked off boxes with the other stuff i mean dante jackson is a super fast corner yeah we'll see if he can learn to play defense but what we know is he's an athlete and he can cut and run with all the guys in the division. And that's the thing, kind of like you need a big receiver and a fast one. They've now got a James Bradbury who can muscle up the Julio Joneses, the Mike yeah. Evanses, and then they've got a fast guy who can cover in the slot and do some different things. And I think Galden is interesting because, you know, on his draft profile or whatever it said, cornerback, but I think it's pretty obvious that he was drafted to be the starting free safety. Right. He was drafted to pair back there with either Cersei or Mike Adams instead of being a third corner or anything like that. I, I, he was brought here. You know, he's got a little Dion Grant in him to go into the wayback machine, and he was also a Tennessee guy who – Coming out of school, nobody knew if he was um, a corner, knew if he was a safety, what exactly he was going to be. And they always saw him as as a pure safety. Yeah. And Dion had a 10-year NFL career. So we'll see if Gauden, uh has that kind of success. I like the fact that Gauden, you know, created one of the great pieces of art of college football <laughs> history by giving the double Bud Adams salute to the Bama fans. And, and some fortunate photographer yeah. preserved that moment for uh, perpetuity. Before we move on to the rest of the division, where do the Panthers stand right now? What are their weaknesses? What still needs to be addressed? If you're a Panther fan and you're looking at the season now, a few months away still, but like, how should you be feeling? Um, Okay. I mean, they still haven't replaced Andrew Norwell, but I don't know that you replace an all-pro guard who made 12, 13 million bucks in free agency. And they knew they were going to lose him and they didn't draft a guy at that position. And at the moment, they're sort of counting on some collection of guys making up for it. They went out and signed a guy, Jeremiah Searles. There's some guys on hand, including Silatalu and and Tyler Larson. And we'll see. I'm not sure 
that they're done adding pieces. I think uh, once you get into the second week of May, and this is such an esoteric inside baseball thing, but after May 8th. second week of May is between the Derby and the Preakness. Yeah, there you go. Um, That's also the time when any unrestricted free agent signing no longer counts against the comp pick formula for next year. And as and as obscure as that seems, that's a real factor for Marty Herney because they stand to get a third round pick next year for signing Andrew Norwell. And they may get some other stuff too uh, for other guys lost, but they don't want to do anything to jeopardize comp picks for 19. So they're not going to sign anybody who's an unrestricted free agent until May 9th. And I think it's reasonable to expect that they'll go out and find a veteran guard or a running back. And then maybe a quarterback, too. I, I think Derek Anderson could come back at some point. But for now, they went out and signed Kyle Allen, who confused a lot of people by coming out into this year's draft after mm-hmm. getting benched at Houston last year. And uh, they signed him after the draft as an undrafted guy. So they've got four quarterbacks now to get them through this mini camp right after the draft. And then you get to the second week in May, and Derek Anderson's still going to be available because he's Derek Anderson, and you can always go drag him back for another year. Now, if you're wondering, the dog got loose. That's uh, that's why I had to. But she's, she's back inside. Everything's good to go. She's all safe. Falcons, uh, obviously – prolific offensively and yeah. Calvin Ridley is where they go in the first round. Yeah, that was interesting. And that's one of those situations where they didn't have all that many holes. I, I think they could have probably used, you know, if they were picking higher in the first round, would they have been better off finding defensive tackle help? Yeah, maybe. Um they've still they're still pretty talented and they were in the position where a guy like Calvin Ridley, who a lot of people thought was a top half of the first round kind of pick, fell into their laps at twenty six and it's like, yeah, okay, we've got Julio, we've got Mosinu, we've got plenty of guys to throw it to. Let's take Calvin Ridley too. Uh, they're in the midst of a contract negotiation with Julio now that they say is going fine. Uh, but until that's done, you still got to kind of wonder about yeah. that. But, you know, the idea of Julio and Calvin Ridley for the next five years, if they can get that contract worked yeah. out, pretty pretty nice to think about if you're Matt Ryan. I thought maybe the story of the draft, aside from the top five or so, and then the quarterbacks, was the very bold move that Sean Payton made to yeah. – trade a small fortune to go up and get Marcus Davenport from yeah. Texas, San Antonio. There are a lot of kind of weird things going yeah. on with this. Like how is it that one of the best edge rushers in the country is at Texas, San Antonio. And then do they feel that they're one guy away? That's what, I mean, obviously they feel that way because they gave up next year's first to get yeah. to him. And, and Davenport's one of those toolsy guys who he's big, he's long, he's fast. Uh, he played at a program that not a lot of people even knew was a place. You know, some of your casual draft fans might be going, Texas San Antonio, is that actually a school? Uh, do they play the University of Phoenix for homecoming? Oh. <laughs> but um, But that being said, I don't think... They're one player away from being Super Bowl contenders with that defense, but obviously they do. And they did made tremendous strides last year. They had a great draft class a year ago. Mm-hmm. Jeff Ireland came in, the longtime Miami exec, came in to work for the Saints a couple of years ago, and, and really he was the driving force behind that draft class last year that brings in Marshawn Lattimore and a lot of contributors. Marcus Williams is a good safety despite what he did in Minnesota, you know, blowing the one play. But they've got a lot of good young parts on that defense, and they went from being awful to good. 
And that was a pretty huge step considering how awful they had been on defense for the last three, four, five years. So getting too good was one big step. Is Davenport enough to get them to the level where they can win a Super Bowl this year? I don't know. They're close. And as long as you got Drew Brees, you're going to have a chance. But that's um, that's a lot of eggs in the basket of a guy who a lot of people still aren't 100% sure about. All right, well, let's take a quick break here. Final thoughts when we come back. We're going to the Bearded Carcast mailbag and a few other things that we'll get into. Make sure you follow us at Bearded Carcast. I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman, and we have our guest, Darren Gant. Always a pleasure to have Darren with us, and we'll have more after this. Back on our bearded car cast with Mike Pacheco. I'm Dave Friedman, Darren Gant from Pro Football Talk, stopping by. Does every team in the league now essentially have a quarterback that they're comfortable with? Um, not necessarily. I, I think there are some places that are still, you know, if you're the Jets, you you love Sam Darnold, but who's going to quarterback you in the short term? I don't know. I I'm still. I'm still a little leery of some of the places. One of the places that interests me is Pittsburgh. I mean, by going and getting Mason Rudolph when they did yeah. in the middle rounds, Pittsburgh basically planted the flag of we're thinking of life after Ben. And how long is that for Mason Rudolph? There were people who thought he was a first-round pick. And, I mean, kid from Rock Hill put up huge numbers at Oklahoma State. And I think there are always concerns with guys coming out of those type of programs and those kind of offenses how long it's going to be before they're ready to play NFL football. But, but in a dream situation, yeah, Ben plays He doesn't well, have to play in a hurry. it's an Aaron Rodgers situation yeah. behind Brett two or, two or three years from now, then – you know, and I think it's also a little subtle message to Ben, who's put the Steelers kind of on a low-key um, layer of, oh, I don't know if I'm going to retire. Oh, I don't know. You know, and it's just drama with Ben. And he puts them through some stuff. And I think this was their way of saying, okay, big boy, we love you. We want you to be our guy. You're our guy. Now we're thinking of life after you, which is a good thing. I mean, it's just – I, I don't think it was malicious on Ben's part. It's just I think he's like a lot of guys who get to the end of a long season and him and Hall and don't know about the future. Well, now the Steelers know about the future. And the future will eventually be Mason Rudolph. So is Danny Etling, the quarterback from LSU, the, uh, the no, next Tom Brady? No question. That guy's going to get so rich four years from now just by sitting and watching games for four years behind 45-year-old Tom Brady. Somebody will uh, make a trade and pay him a bunch of money like Garoppolo. But, um, it, yeah, I don't know. Don't I, the 49ers look pretty smart right now? And oh, I know yeah. That, I know that New England had no choice, but, boy, oh, boy, a second-round pick with all these guys going in the first round. If yeah. we were to draft the quarterbacks taken in this draft and put Garoppolo in there, Garoppolo would be taken before well, the, all of them? Right, the 25-year-old Garoppolo yeah. would be taken yes. ahead of the 21-year-old, all of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, they are smart, and, and that, you know— it, I'm not ready to call them a playoff team yet. There's still some issues there, but they've gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. John Lynch seems to be pretty good at this job, and Kyle Shanahan, as we know from seeing the offenses he put together, is he's a sharp kid, and they've got a good mix there, and Garoppolo's hot right now. So stack a bunch of parts around him. They went out and drafted another tackle and extended Joe Staley, so he's got bookend – 
He's got bookends in the middle and at both tackle spots now, and, and they're just building around him, and that's the way to do it. Ready for the mailbag? Let's open the mailbag, which I think relates to the 49ers think, to some degree. I think, I think there may be some, uh, some similarities here. All right, so uh, Cassidy in Berkeley, thanks for listening all the way out on the West Coast. I, I don't think he knows anybody here either. Uh, now that the draft is over, every team in the NFC West has a young, talented quarterback. Does that division now have the best QBs overall? If not, then which one does? I think it's too soon to declare that uh, with the NFC West simply because we're not sure what kind of NFL quarterback Josh Rosen mm-hmm. is. You know, um, Russell Wilson, eh, I'm I'm not as high on Russ as others. I think it's probably the NFC South, to be honest with you. I mean, it, you've got three guys who do it completely different ways in Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Cam Newton, and then we'll see if Jameis Winston's actually a good NFL quarterback or not. So far, he's been okay He's a stat guy and put up big numbers. I don't know that he's been a great quarterback yet, and I don't know if they'll ever get there. But when you look at those top three, those are perennial Pro Bowl-level quarterbacks in Newton and Ryan and Drew Brees. So I would say NFC South at the moment, but those guys are on the rise. I've never been as big on Russell Wilson as a bunch of other people. Why? And um. I think he's benefited from having incredible talent around him, he's had especially, a especially on defense. He's had a great but he's defense. had a great defense, and now all those parts are starting to go away. I mean, one of my pet theories about the NFL is the most valuable piece of real estate is the young quarterback on his rookie contract. But he was also winning, but now, for the most part, low power games. Wasn't it wasn't Seattle like he's bad winning last year and he was an MVP candidate. I think that's got more to do with Russell Incorporated than Russell the player. I, I think he has entered the popular consciousness as a great quarterback, even if, though he hasn't always been great at playing quarterback. And I just think as – I mean, Seattle hit a hard reset. They blew that team up. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a real chance they're not going to be very good this year. So we'll see how good Russ is this year. If he takes that team to the playoffs, maybe I'm wrong. It, it's happened before. It could happen again. But I don't see that being a playoff team necessarily anytime soon because they have lost so many pieces. And now they're talking about they got through the draft weekend without trading Earl Thomas, who seems like the last guy left on that side of the ball. But, you know, they if you just stack it up and look at what they've lost and you think about – Cam Chancellor and Cliff Averill may never play again. If you think about Michael Bennett gone, if you think about Richard Sherman gone, it's like you don't just overcome that in one offseason. That's a, a complete blow it up and start over again. So the draft is over. Who are the three best teams in the league right now? Uh, yeah, Patriots because they got the best quarterback and the best coach. Um, Packers because Aaron Rodgers is whole again, is going to keep them in that mix. I think um, who's the third out of that bunch? I hate to be an equivocator. I should have hot takes ready to go. <laughs> exactly. I'm, you don't have a hot take I, file? I'm never going to work for ESPN this way. Um, I think there are a number of teams. I think the Rams are pretty good in getting there. They've certainly loaded up to make a run at it this year. They, um, you know, Jared Godd's that young guy on that cheap contract, and they've stacked so many guys around him. I have a little bit of distrust for them. Because, you know, Dominican Sue's an obvious renegade yeah. who's going to chase the money wherever he goes. And they have bet on a lot of guys who have been loose screws in other places. Both Akib Tlaib and Marcus Peters, you know, they're great players, but 
their old teams were willing to get yeah. rid of them, and that says something to me. So they've pushed a lot of chips to the middle of the table on a third-year quarterback, and we'll see if Goff's able to handle it. I mean, they could be – and the Eagles are still – I don't think they're going to fall off. I mean, let's keep in mind, Wentz was an MVP-level quarterback before he got hurt. And, oh, by the way, the backup leads him to a Super Bowl. Darren, thanks as always. Man, we could do this – we for another two hours. Yeah, I mean, it's sitting around talking about ball. Now all we're going to have to do is talk about the NBA playoffs and the Knights for the next couple months. All right, that'll be episode 23. Here we go. <laughs> all right, Darren Gant joining us here on the Bearded Carcast. You can follow along at Bearded Carcast. Bearded Carcast at Outlook.com. Thanks to Darren Gant for joining us. For Dave Friedman, I'm Mike Pacheco. Thanks for listening to the Bearded Carcast.